In this episode, we will explore the incredible economic impact of LGBTQ tourism. Did you know that US consumers spend over $200 billion a year on queer-friendly travel? Picture this, a legally married gay couple and their two adopted kids jet off to a dream vacation. But, uh-oh, the country they visit criminalizes homosexuality. What happens to their legal status? And if one of them end up in the hospital, can his partner visit him? It's a maze of legalities and love. But don't worry, we are here to navigate it all. We'll break it all down, giving insights into what makes this tourism different and how destinations and accommodations can create spaces that are welcoming and safe. This episode is guaranteed to leave you inspired and ready to embark on your own travel adventures. He helps hotels, destinations, and other travel brands learn how to authentically engage with and welcome diverse guests and travelers with confidence. He designed a cutting-edge hospitality-related LGBTQ marketing and sensitivity training program, LGBTQ masterclass, and co-authored the Handbook of LGBTQ Tourism and Hospitality Marketing. We have with us Ed. I'm not done. There's so much <laughs> more about Ed, who's also an educator and uh, a, a thought leader in LGBTQ tourism and hospitality. And for more than 20 years, he's been the editor-in-chief and contributed to some of the most significant LGBTQ mainstream travel publications, helping travelers discover truly welcoming and safe destinations and accommodations and serves also on the faculty of NYU, New York University, which I'm also an alumni, uh, at the Tisch Center of Hospitality and a lecturer in marketing at the University of Texas in New York. So many things, and we have just started. Hello, Ed. Hello, hello, thank you. So I'd love to immediately dive in. <laughs> Let's dive. <laughs> so at the end of uh, the 90s, uh, you've been dealing with market research. And just after that, you found yourself also working uh, in the, the gay industry, let's say. I always say people that I became a professional homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been doing it way before, before me. And I would love to learn from, from your experience. And what did you see already back then at the end of the 90s about uh, the research market that you did? Well, thank you for that kind introduction. And yeah, I'm excited to talk with you about that. I, I always joke that I've monetized my homosexuality, especially around Pride season. Everyone hires you at Pride Month to work. And I like to say, yes, could you hire us the other 11 months, right? So, so you know, it was a long time ago in a very, very different uh, atmosphere, social atmosphere in the late 90s. Um, homosexuality was still not super accepted you know, even in westernized countries. At that time, I think there was maybe one state in the United States that had some form of um, domestic partnership or civil unions. I think that was by 1999, actually. Uh, that was the state of Vermont. And in, the, in Europe, uh, the Netherlands, I think, had some form of same-sex marriage starting in 1989. So we're talking about the very beginning of this uh, awareness of of homosexuality as something other than a secretive, shameful thing, something that was, you know, important and that uh, people led their lives around. So that matters a little bit later on in terms of marketing. So we'll, we'll talk about that again. But so I graduated from Harvard in 1984 and uh, decided I wanted to do something fabulous. So I went to France, ended up meeting someone, a guy, 
Um, and I ended up staying there for five years with this person. I worked in technology and had a couple of other jobs. Then I came back and I started working in the software industry and, you know, liked it. I'm very technical, but didn't love it. So I started, then I decided to uh, attend business school and I was accepted at Northeastern in Boston, loved it, specialized in market research, then got a job immediately outside of that in market research. I kept getting bigger and better jobs in market research, applying for and getting more important jobs each time because I thought, oh, I'm really dissatisfied. Maybe the next, next job would be better next job. But it turns out I just didn't like market research. <laughs> so I was I had a big job getting a lot of money, but just didn't like it. And so around about that time, I was in Provincetown traveling. I love traveling. And Provincetown, Massachusetts is very popular with gay travelers, LGBTQ, but at the time we said gay travelers and lesbian travelers to a certain extent. I loved it. Met some guy at a party who was just run, it was launching an, an LGBTQ, really a gay travel newsletter. So I said, oh, you should hire me. I'm a good writer and I love to travel. I love to talk about my trips. So he did. So he hired me as a correspondent from Boston. And then that went really, really well. That was in 1997. In 1998, he offered me a job. So I quit my market but research. was it all about uh, stuff happening in Boston or not only? Exactly right. So I was uh, hired to report on LGBTQ, really gay happenings in Boston. New restaurant, new bar, new club, that kind of thing, an event that was happening. So I would report. It would get printed in their newsletter. And importantly, since this was the dawn of the age of the internet, the web had just come out. So this company out and about launched a website and it, we sold PDFs of travel guides and we sold them. We, we didn't give anything away for free. We sold them. So we monetized the website instantly. We made a lot of money selling PDFs. So I was responsible for the Boston travel master file. We called them the Boston travel guide and we expanded so the, in the expansion plan, they needed an editor to f- move from where I was in Boston to Los Angeles, to West Hollywood, and take a job as associate editor of Out and About, which I gladly accepted and got fired from my job as a market researcher. But I was fine because they gave me a severance check and then I just moved to with this, a lot of money and I moved to LA really happy with a new job. And so how way. many people uh, did you get? Like how many people were paying for the oh, a lot PDFs? Of people because... This is very interesting. Um, but are we talking about dozens? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So the gay world has always been disproportionate. Well, ever since there is an internet of some sort, has been disproportionately represented online. Why? Because for LGBTQ people, it's a safe space, safe place to meet others, safe place to purchase information that's relevant to you without going to a bookstore. And you couldn't find these things in bookstores at the time. You couldn't find them in airports, like a, a gay guide in an airport didn't exist. It, quickly in the 2000s, it did, but not even still not in 1998. So we sold lots and lots and lots of guides to people who are going to Paris, going to Rome, going to Boston, going to the West Coast of the United States, going to Latin America, whatever it was. And we wrote these guides based on not necessarily traveling there, although we did, but we, we used our network. So if, if it was a guide on Tel Aviv, I might call you and say, Tell me the people I need to talk to. Tell me the things I need to cover. And then we just networked out, created these guides, edited them, and posted them online and sold them. It was, it was good business. So we created a lot of content. And the content was very interesting uh, and relevant. And what happened was within a year, it was like 1998, I moved there, started working. 
in 2000, a company called Planet Out, which is a, an online presence, they had merchandise, e, you know, retail, e-tail, e, e, uh, e I guess we called it at the time. Um, they had social, they had this, you know, uh, ways to meet people, personals, this kind of thing. They didn't have travel. So they purchased out and about to, to purchase our travel content. Ed, can I ask you, what does it mean, um, gay or LGBT tourism? You know, many times when I talk with different uh, vendors or uh, business owners, they're like, what is this thing? Why, why LGBT people need, like, aren't very just like everyone? Of course not, yeah, but... Yeah. I would love to ask you if you can, if you have some kind of definition or definitions yeah, for that. I think it's helpful to think about the context. So who is saying, who's asking those questions? It's straight people who aren't in the community, who are in hospitality. And from their perspective, they say everyone is welcome. But when you look at the LGBTQ perspective, say gay and lesbian perspective, say in 1998, do I assume that I'm going to be welcome at a hotel? If I showed up with my same-sex partner at a hotel, are they going to treat me like everyone else? We know the answer is absolutely not. But those providers of travel, the suppliers, don't have any idea. That's why we have LGBTQ sensitivity training. One of the major, major emphasis I place is I ask them, whose perspective are you looking at? Are you looking at your own perspective as the provider? Or are you looking at the queer person who's showing up your desk who has had a history of, no, you can't serve in the military. No, you can't be in our religious community. Nope, you can't have this job. Nope, you can't be in this neighborhood. No, 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 no. So that person does not expect to be welcome everywhere. Quite the opposite, right? This is a lot about being a minority or being discriminated. It's like Ex not discrimination. Discrimination is an outcome. I think the, the real, I think the real issue is safety, right? So it's really your safety. And you can define that in a million different ways. For a woman, the safety might be, I don't want more people looking at me. I don't want more attention paid to me. Maybe for a gay man, it's literally, if I walk out into this neighborhood that I've where I've never been holding my partner's hand from the hotel, well, Well, we get jumped, we get beat up. I mean, it's really physical safety. It could just be at check-in, you get the little eye roll. Ugh. Or maybe you get someone at the check-in who says, oh, no, there must be a mistake here. There's two men on one bed. No, no, we're going to change that to two beds. This happens. Still, it happens. Of course. I was, I've been kicked out of hotels. I mean, way back, um, I was, it was a couple of different places. Once in Budapest, once in Greece, where it's like, no, you know, it was small family-owned, conservative family-owned guest houses. I, I don't know they're, I don't know their religious or you know political views. I just wanted a room, and they no, nope, you can't be here. You you can't come here if you if you and this person want to share the same bed. No, nope, we're not going to have you here. So it does happen. This that's not that long ago, and it still happens. So that's safety. It's really safety. Just, no one fears being discriminated against. I mean, maybe we do theoretically, but but really, it's about your safety. Will I be truly welcome? You know, if you walk in, if if a man walks in with a woman, heterosexual couple. Oh, we're celebrating our anniversary. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, let, can I give you a romantic restaurant? Oh, you should try the two people, two men come in. Do they ask whether they're celebrating anything special? Do they make an, any sort of um, uh, uh, effort to, to show them that they, we really care about the relationship that they have? No. So it, doesn't, it just still doesn't exist, really. Not that much. Some hotels are good, but most of them aren't. Do you see any changes? Uh, for, first of all, I'm... I have to say that I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the that horrible oh. experience okay. that you, that you had you know I was always afraid that anything like that will happen to me and I can really understand the fear mm. but uh, fortunately I didn't have to face that fear but 
maybe that's also easier when using Airbnb and so on. Probably right. we as LGBT people have kind of different consumer behavior. Absolutely. We have different cons- needs and concerns. For marketing, good marketing, you want to focus in on your customers' needs and concerns. Ooh, this person likes air conditioning. Ooh, they like a high thread count, you know. But you really want to get into their very specific needs and concerns. Black people, you know, an African-American visitor, maybe they have a very, you know, concern about being like assumed that they're not going to pay their bill or assumed that they don't even belong there. I have a friend who's a, a white, he's white and his, his husband is black and they have two white kids from his previous marriage. They show up sometimes at a hotel and the, the hotel check-in person says to the, the black guy, ah, I'm, I'm hand, I'm. I'm taking care of these customers. Please wait your turn. Because just, just the assumption, that's sort of race and that's sort of gender and that's sort of relationship. They make What happens in hospitality is we're trained, hospitality providers are trained about a couple of things that the training is like 150 years old. Perceived gender, perceived relationship. Ooh, I see a man and a woman together. Maybe they're celebrating something special. We'll give him the check at the end of the meal. We'll take her coat. So there's a lot of gender biases and orientation perception biases within hospitality. Those have to be deconstructed and you have to start from scratch. So it's very, very difficult. But, you know, you, you know, I haven't seen this. I think that the hotels for the past, say, 20 years, Western U.S., I'm sure Israel, you know, different places, they, they have a very minimal good standard. Two men walk in with their both names on one reservation. The room is one queen bed, one king bed. Fine, no worries. Check them in. Everyone's happy. It, it's really minimal standard, but at least there's that, right? But there's they're missing the opportunity to delight. Oh, are you celebrating anything special? Oh, do, you know, you know that kind of thing, like that 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 lean in con- conversation, which can lead to stronger customer relationships. It usually doesn't work with homosexuals. It usually only works with the heterosexual guests. I wanted to ask about the, the market. Mm. Okay, can you explain a bit about what, what, is, what are the markets? I mean, like we have probably individual people, or do we see agencies like travel, oh, so uh, guided tours, right. sure. or like what, 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 what are kind of services that we have except for, okay, when this, I understand completely about the, the hotels. But sometimes, you know, it's going as, when I travel to some destinations, I would love to find also about the the history of of a queer communities, for instance, so to find the right uh, bar and so absolutely. On. So, so the industry is made up of so many different components. Hotel is just one small component. You have attractions, you know, the places that you go visit. You have the destination itself. You have the generating region, which is where the tourists come from, and the destination itself, where the visitors come. You have the travel component. How do these people move there? Train, plane. Automobile. So there's lots of different c- components. When you're in the LGBTQ community, your decisions around travel have, you know, your, your sexual identity, your sexual orientation or your gender identity are, you know, factor into your decisions. But in some instances, they're much more important. So where I stay at a hotel, my, my perceived sexual orientation and my perceived gender identity probably matter more than when I'm purchasing a train ticket. You know, there's a big difference between those two things because you're, you're not sleeping, in a, mostly for the most part, you're not sleeping in a train or sleeping in a plane, really. You're just transporting yourself. So, and then attractions. So you might say, like, what is your gender identity? What is your sexual identity? 
orientation have to do with whether you enjoy a museum or whether you appreciate this art or whether you go to a Broadway show? Well, it's, it's about the entirety of the experience, right? So there's a couple of ways of thinking about that. Representation is incredibly important. Do you know, as an LGBTQ person, maybe as an African-American person, maybe as an Asian person, maybe as someone who practices halal, maybe someone who wears a headscarf, do you know whether you'll be welcome in this restaurant, in this hotel, in this uh, Broadway show at this attraction? You don't really know. You have to look for cues. You have to look for indications of that. What are those indications? Those are usually affected by marketing. So there's some organizations that do an incredible job showing diversity within their marketing materials, within their communications, and some that do a terrible, terrible job, right? So there's the whole range of those things. And really, it's a battle for this market itself, which is a pretty big market. So you'd ask the question about what does the market look like? They estimate that the amount of money that the LGBTQ consumers spend every year is approximately a trillion dollars US. This is everything. This is from on, on in, on in only the US. the US. So this is buying a computer, buying a shirt, but it's also buying travel products. So within that, they estimate that the global expenditure of on travel products for self-identified LGBTQ people is conservatively $218 billion. So $60, $65 billion US spend, $11 billion United Kingdom, uh, Brazil's like $13 billion. I can't, so it all adds up to about $218 billion just for travel products. So it's a very significant market. That's why a lot of providers of travel services, of tourism and hospitality services, are really focusing in on this market because it, they can make money. you know. But to do that authentically and to do that sustainably, meaning... People believe you, they trust you, you can do it year after year after year. It's a very difficult thing to do. And let's say that I want to plan a, a trip. And let's say that I'm in a situation of, uh, I'm caring not only for, for myself, but also let's say I have a family, partner, we have kids, not yet, I wish, okay. But uh, as a queer family, um, then we want to, to have a safer space, not only for ourselves, but also for, for the kids and the whole family. So what options do we have today in order to find that kind of information? I understand That's about great. the marketing right. that you say, but let's say if it's from our side as consumers, right. but we just want to plan something for. And, you know, uh, travel, tourism, hospitality products, they're, they're high involvement products. You have to do a lot of research and there's even more research. A lot, research, it takes so much a lot, time. A lot, a lot, a lot. And there's even more research uh, and work that you have to do when you're in the LGBTQ community because for a couple of reasons. Historically, LGBTQ community have been discriminated against. We already talked about no, 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 you can't serve in the military, can't serve. There's also uh, instances where LGBTQ people are refused service given really terrible service, maybe even harassed or possibly even physically assaulted or attacked. This is historical. So LGBTQ people really think about safety. Another major thing to think about is over 60 countries criminalize homosexuality. There are 11 countries that have the death penalty, including five that impose the death penalty still on both. Like which? Um, unsurprising, maybe unsurprising countries in you know, Iran and Sudan and Yemen, these kinds of places. Some of them are really popular with tourists as well. Zimbabwe, Zambia, right? The Caribbean is, has a really hostile, in some countries, 
because of the legacy of colonialism. So the British colonial countries had terrible laws. The French and the Dutch, more permissive laws. So, so some of the Dutch and French islands in the Caribbean are a little bit more welcoming than some of the uh, Spanish-speaking and some of the British, English-speaking ones. So back to your example about the family. So imagine two men, legally married in New York City. They get on and with their illegally adopted child. They get on the plane in Queens. They're legally married. The kid legally belongs to them. Yeah. They're going on safari to Tanzania. Tanzania criminalizes homosexuality. Are they still legally married to each other? Does that kid still legally belong to them together? To them? I don't know. And how about yourself? If you, God forbid, you're in the hospital, can your partner legally visit you? Or is he permitted to visit you? I don't know. I'm not an international lawyer. However, that is something that LGBTQ people think about in the back of their mind. And it's something heterosexual people cannot understand because there's no equivalent. There's no equivalent where heterosexual, heterosexual people are criminalized because they're heterosexual. Yeah. It's a huge difference. So going back to your suppliers, everyone's welcome here. We treat everyone the same. Well, are you criminalized in any country? So it's, it's, it's deeply, profoundly different. And that's so important to get across. And how can we, so how can we find that information? Ah. So there are sources of, for information. There's no one source, just like there's no one source on straight travel. <laughs> So, so, you know, you have, to, you have to find your sources that you think are credible, that you trust. There's a lot of really good bloggers out there. And those are the ones I follow. The Nomadic Boys, Too Bad Tourists. There's a woman I really like. Her name is Elise D'Alessandro. There's lots and lots of great bloggers and um, content creators who talk about the safety of destinations and whether people will be welcome. A lot of it is very them focus it's through the prism of their experience so to find editorial um more uh research focused and more editorial focused uh resources are very difficult ours used to be the, the one of the most important ones out and about out travel and man about world because we sent writers all over the world but very few there's very few there's um um Q Digital publishes LGBTQ Nation and it publishes uh, gay cities and a few other uh, platforms like that. So there are some good sources out there and you just, unfortunately, there's no one source. I think maybe IGLTA, which is International Gay Lesbian Travel Association, IGLTA.org is a good place to start because they list all their member organizations. And so you can get a sense of organizations that are at least understand that they need to be LGBTQ friendly. So that's a good place to start. You know, it's not a secret, but I'm trying to develop a startup uh, for the <laughs> LGBTQ plus communities and so on. And you're actually only proofing for me the need for, for such a uh, tool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we used to be, really used to be our publication that doesn't, you know, we have lots of archives that, that are actually difficult to access. So it doesn't really exist, but There's a, there's a couple of publications, interesting. There's a book that just came out called The, the uh, Pride. Oh my gosh, now what is it? Uh, it's a woman who just published it. I'll, I have it over there. I'll find it for you. But there's very few. I mean, Mr. B&B is a good resource. Do you know Mr. B&B? Yeah. 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 You know, for, for your accommodations. Yes. You know? Yes. That's for hospitality, but uh, not necessarily. But for tourism. Let's say, but if I want to find a travel guide, I think that one of the problems with this kind of um, sources of information, which are like of content, 
which is dependent on people who will write that content. And then it's very difficult to update the stuff because it's, we all the time have new vendors right. and new people so doing right. those things. Recently, just a week ago, I, I, when I was presenting my, my startup to some potential um, investors, and actually it was the first time that I presented it to investors who are not necessarily LGBT. Oh. And then one of them asked me, like, do you think to expand it? Meaning like, do, uh, like she was asking me if there was such a platform, let's say, do, would I, do I think if it can be relevant for different kinds of minorities? And, I must, and honestly, I'm not sure if I can answer that because I think that what is interesting and special about LGBT people that it is a minority. It mm. can be the opening for other kinds of minorities, just like, you know, like Stonewall Riots 1969 was the beginning just sure. before the whole, you know, like the, the feminist revolution, mm. the black rights movement and, and, and so on. So maybe... <laughs> Queer people are the first to suffer, let's say, but and it can be uh, the light for 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 later. Oh. But I think that, like, uh, even now after our conversation, that like, um, no, let's let's take it. Uh, I'm a Jewish, maybe <laughs> I can give example of, of about Jews, okay? Um, that there is some fear of discrimination, but it's not so uh, not so big. I mean, depends depends where where, of course. Um, but I don't know about any Jewish people or Arab people, for instance, that plan too much like their, their trip because of uh, not being accepted in some ways. I mean, like Jewish people probably or Israeli, okay? They know that not to go with their passport to, so, to Iran, probably, yeah? But except for that, uh, it's not that they have, uh, you know, I, I can't think about an example of any minority where... Uh, it can be really dangerous, just as you said, like a family that will go uh, from the U.S. to Nigeria. Right. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's probably, I think, sometimes I think if you as a marketer or travel supplier or attraction or hospitality provider, if you can understand the LGBTQ mark, you can then more or less start welcoming other underrepresented segments because mm -hmm. the LGBTQ one, you have to, there's a lot you have to deal with. People just disapprove of it, you know, whereas, you know, uh, other minorities, it's a little bit different. However, I would say that black travel, especially in the United States, is, is, can be very difficult and very challenging. Have you heard of this thing called the Green Book? It was a movie. And anyway, Green Book, it was a published guide by black people for black travelers in the United States from like 1948 till 1970 or 60 or something. And in it, it talked about places where black people can travel safely in the United States to get gas to stay in a hotel, to visit. Because back in those days, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you could get lynched, killed, murdered, right? So that that's a pretty good equivalent. Is it still true now? You know, maybe much less so, right? Another segment is women travelers, solo women travelers. There's still a high risk for solo women travelers. So I think there are some segments that are you could scale to. I think she was talking about scaling your business a little bit, right? So I think th those are the things I would think about. I think within LGBTQ, you could talk about that. We say intersectionality, meaning black, black and queer, or plus size women, solo women, Asian queer. I'm just saying, it might be interesting to explore that. Is it a whole business? I don't think so. I think that uh, LGBTQ is probably the, the biggest business opportunity that you have. But it does, I would explore those others. 
Okay, so before we'll proceed to the next episode that we were recording with uh, Ed Salvato, where we will talk more about the specifics around LGBTQ plus tourism, what's happening, how to be more appealing to those kind of clients. But before we will move to the second part, I have to add that the whole journey of Ed is so interesting. And this is something that I see in many episodes that we recorded with LGBTQ plus business owners, that we do find that we're not just business owners of a regular business. They are also activists. They care also about the society. And sometimes even decisions which are related to the society and the impact will be in a higher priority rather than only uh, the business view of those uh, things. Now also, uh, we have to remember that being an LGBT is being a minority, just like any other kind of minority, either it's about uh, ethnicity or religion or gender. Being an LGBT is being another kind of a minority, but that minority is so special since there are LGBTQ plus people in all kinds of societies all around the world, all ages, all colors, all beliefs, and so on. So, because so many people who are minorities, many of their daily decisions are being based on avoiding discrimination. For instance, me, probably, as an LGBT, if I will go to some restaurant, for instance, or uh, a travel office, and I had a very good experience there, doesn't matter if I shared my sexuality or not, but the fact that I felt very safe, okay, that people respect me, they like me the way I am, so most probably I will come back to that business. And this is something which is very important uh, when understanding about the habits. It's not only about making businesses which will be friendly. There is a whole psychology here also from the side of the, the customers. Now we see also how many brands and companies use a branding especially around Pride Month in order to attract more people, not only LGBT, also in order to brand themselves as liberal. Once looking on businesses, I always like to divide it into three types. And usually people are not talking about the third type, which I find the most interesting and also relevant to these two episodes. So first of all, when people usually talk about LGBTQ plus businesses, they talk about a gay-friendly business or LGBT-friendly, meaning it doesn't matter who is the business owner, what are the products, the fact that they say that they are accepting queer people. So for instance, a hotel that uh, would say, yeah, we, we will accept you, but it can also be a supermarket, for instance. Now, the second uh, type of businesses are related to the identity of the business owner. Uh, that's also what kind of organizations like NGLCC in the US are doing or in some other countries. It's just like Chamber of Commerce, like organizations or start out for startups, startup entrepreneurs, that they help entrepreneurs who are LGBTQ+, but it doesn't really connect to the product. For instance, I can be a hairdresser who's LGBT, but hairdressing is not necessarily an LGBT product. And I think that also what we have to differentiate and what we see that is changing is the third type, where it's about the product. The product is designed for LGBTQ+. For instance, a heteronormative straight travel company that creates a product, a trip, a travel, which is dedicated for LGBTQ people. What will it have? So for instance, if traveling in a history museum, for instance, uh, visiting Jerusalem in Israel and then going once going to Yad Vashem to the Holocaust Museum, seeing also the sites 
uh, which are related to our history. Seeing about the pink triangle that people had, not only the Jews were forced to have a yellow uh, triangle, but also the, the LGBTQ+. Plus. Or visiting a, a memorial site, which is also important for LGBT people. And there, there are so many also museums and galleries all around the world. So many times when you want to work, for instance, with a travel guide who is an LGBT, it's not only about the fact that they, we will maybe feel comfortable with them, But it's a lot also about the product, what service they will give us. Probably some of the recommendations that can give us have so much value, much more than just putting a, a sticker or changing the, the branding of a company. So uh, let's move on to the second part where Ed will share with us so many of his experience and knowledge related to LGBTQ plus tourism. Stay with us. Thank you.